Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 557, air date April 6th, 2020. An exclusive interview now, a top doctor exposing everything the deep state is trying to hide about CV. Welcome to the Next News Network, my friends. I'm Gary Franchi. We are in day nine of the Trump administration's 15-day slow the spread campaign. And before we get started, a couple things I want you to do. I want you to tap the share button right now because this interview is critical to the survival of this nation. Second thing I want you to do is hit the red subscribe button so you can be updated when we produce more interviews like this. Now, tonight I have a special guest. He's joining me. His name is Dr. Shiva I adore it. And he will be with us momentarily. But first, a live look at the latest global numbers of those affected by the Chinese virus. As you can see on the screen here, 407,485 total confirmed. Total deaths, 18,227. And the good news is that 104,000 people have recovered. Now, taking a closer look at what's happening right now in the United States, we can zoom in on that. 49,000, almost 50,000 cases so far in the United States. 600 total deaths. And as it stands, the data has not yet been compiled for how many individuals have recovered. So we're going to continue to... Uh, uh, to pray for the individuals. Now, we have our guest here. His name is Dr. Shiva. He has more accomplishments than I can mention in an introduction. He holds four degrees from MIT, a doctor, a PhD in biological engineering who studies the immune system daily. Now, he's also a Senate candidate. He is running as a Republican, and he has experienced his share of violence at the hands of unhinged racist leftists like this moment from 2018. Let's watch. We don't produce enough engineers. We don't produce enough doctors. What we do is produce a bunch of scumbag lawyer lobbyists like Elizabeth Warren. They're not come here and have a discussion about racism. That's right. You're the racist, boy. Racist. 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 Look at the racist. No. Please. Now. Stop. 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 That's racism right there. Right, you're the racist. Racist. That's what you guys do. Wow, I felt that. I felt that. As soon as he pushed that megaphone into his face, I cringed. Now, what you witnessed right there was an Elizabeth Warren supporter attacking not just her opponent, but the man who at the age of 14 in 1978 invented email, yes, the inventor and copyright holder of email. Oh yes, Dr. Shiva, welcome to the Next News Network. Great to be here, Gary, thanks for having me. Now, what happened there, did that hurt? Did he, did he hurt you when he pushed that well, megaphone well, in your face? I, I tripped a tooth, I had to go to the dentist. You know, initially, uh, you know, in the fray, you don't think about it. And the police took him away. What was interesting was uh, he was invited back and Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, opened her arms and gave him a VIP box after that. Um, I pursued it and we actually filed criminal charges and he was given, I think, nine months um, a sentence and, and put on probation. And what's interesting is that gentleman, if you see it, he's wearing a white shirt and it says liberal uh, as he hits me. 
And uh, his job is he's a artiste, quote unquote artiste, who draws pictures of black and white Barbies, okay, uh, to, you know, to have a discourse about whatever. So, you know, this is your typical uh, type of individual who's part of this, you know, the multiracial liberal aristocracy right now, that they're disconnected from what's actually going on, on the ground. They live in an abstract world uh, of their own reality. They've never had to deal with real people. And the fact that, I mean, you look at that, you know, it's a bunch of uh, quote unquote white liberals, right? Going into uh, see Elizabeth Warren and here I am, who's actually representative of anything of everything that they claim to want to support, right? I came as a working class kid from Jersey, from Newark, from Clifton, from Patterson, grew up in, you know, nothing from India as an untouchable low caste Indian. And the fact that I happen to call out Elizabeth Warren as a racist bothers these people because for too long in American history, the liberal elites have defined what racism is. And the problem is that Republican establishment does not counter them. So it's essentially given them an open territory to talk about all sorts of nonsense. There is racism in this country and you just saw it, but it's not the racism that the liberal elites talk about. You know, they don't want people to use the N word or they want us to support affirmative action. If you do those two things, then you're not a racist. But the real racism is people like Elizabeth Warren who use race and the establishment to divide people, be it poor blacks, poor whites, you know, poor Ameri everyday Americans. And, and to, so they fight among each other and they don't really realize who the real enemy is. And the real enemy is those people who, t who think that a few set of people know better than all of us that the state can mandate its will on people. And that's the real enemy. And if there is a division, that's a good and necessary division. Those people think, you know, from the time you got up or your wife got up or I got up, um, you know, we made 100 decisions for ourselves without the state being involved. And these sure. folks believe that the state needs to be involved in every aspect of your life, you know, from your medical care, you know, to every aspect of existence. Well, I can certainly uh, appreciate having the, the government's decision-making process off of my life, but we've got a lot of critical issues right now we need to talk about. Uh, issues that are affecting humanity, of course. We're going to get into the to the, to the liberal pathogen itself later in this program, um, but there's quite a, quite a lot of ground to cover, and I want to just get some backstory on this invention, this thing that we all use right now, email. It's one of the most widely used tools on the internet. Give us the backstory how that all started for you. It's a, it's a very important story, Gary. So Matt, I, I think w there's two parts of this story. One is the fact that I've been involved with email, not only its invention, that was one part of it, then later on um, in 2000 and uh, in, 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 in the early 90s when I actually created technology to actually handle the message onslaught of emails, originally beginning with the Clinton White, White House, and I grew that to around a $250 million company. And then later on, advising the United States Postal Service why they should also offer a public email service in order to protect our digital rights. So it's been a, you know, it's been a long history and I run a, a company still today called EchoMail, which helps organizations manage email. But the invention of email, just to be clear, uh, it's not only where it came from, but it's also the aspect of why there was even any controversy about where its invention occurred. So we should talk about both, but to go to this humble origins, Email was not in invented at MIT. It wasn't invented by Silicon Valley. It wasn't invented by the military. Um, the fact is email was created by a 14-year-old you know, American kid 
in Newark, New Jersey, where you know people think nothing's supposed to come out of. And the and the story of the invention of email really speaks to uh, the possibilities of the American dream and what this country has to offer. You see, I came from India. Um, in uh, I grew up in Bombay, um, but also in a deep South Indian village. So think about living in New York, Gary, but also growing up in Mississippi, okay, in, in the 1920s. Those are the environments I grew up in. And in that village in India, there was no running water. You know, you went out, you know, there's no uh, normal sewage system. But my grandparents were, were amazing subsistence farmers. They worked 16-hour days. And on the weekends, my grandmother was a village healer. Uh, every village in, this, in those days always had a traditional healer. My grandmother had learned the art of traditional systems of medicine. She could, for example, observe your face. She could predict your body's particular state. And then she could figure out the imbalances for you, Gary, which may be different than someone else. And then she would figure out the right combinations of medicines, all food-based herbs, um, or sometimes it was massage that was right for you. So I saw this woman as a young kid, four, five, six years old, empirically heal lots of people, you know, without the use of pharmaceutical drugs or injections. So that really motivated my interest in medicine. So if you look at what happened to me when I came to the U.S. as a seven-year-old kid, I knew the immense value this country had to offer. And I made a decision, frankly, as a kid, that if I didn't really, uh, really uh, advance myself and really work hard, Gary, that I would in many ways be a parasite, right? Because I was being given so much compared to my grandparents and my other relatives who lived in small little huts. So when I came, by the time I was 14, I'd finished calculus, uh, which was given to high school, you know, the seniors. And my high school had no other uh, math courses to offer me. And interesting enough, my mom had seen a little newspaper article, this is in 1978, that a professor at NYU, who was a visionary, his name was Henry Mullish, was gonna select 40 students across the United States that you would get the opportunity to go to NYU in an intensive computer science summer program, which was a Navy SEAL-like program. You'd be trained in six to seven different programming languages, including digital circuit theory. Now, this is in 1978. And so I was one of those fortunate students uh, selected uh, out of a very competitive competition. And I was actually one year younger than the eligibility, but because of, I guess, what I was good at, I was accepted. And my, my dear mom would drop me off at the Newark uh, train station as this 14-year-old kid would go into New York. And as I've mentioned before, many parents are afraid to send their kids down the street these days. Um, graduated top of the class. And after that, when I got back, I still had some high school courses to do. But I was very fortunate, Gary, that I was given this huge opportunity to get a full-time job at a medical school in the heart of Newark, New Jersey. Now, you have to understand, in those days, it was predominantly African-American, a lot of crime. Most people wouldn't even go to Newark. But, you know, to me, these were everyday people. Uh, they weren't any different than the people I grew up anywhere else. They were working people. And you have to understand, I was not just good at software programming. I learned how to landscape. I, I learned how to paint from you know, the working class people in Jersey. Um, I also played soccer, you know, division three undefeated uh, team. And I also played baseball. So it wasn't like I was just a nerd. So this is a little bit for many people to handle because we tend to segregate people. You must look like this and you're a nerd. You must look like this and you're an athlete. But I crossed many of those boundaries. But anyway, I started working at this medical school at the age of 14. And the guy that gave me that job, uh, Gary, treated me like an adult. You know, I work with people 30, 40, 50, 60 years older than me. I bring in my briefcase. The rule was that I, was, I would get treat as long as I followed the rules, worked hard, and was a professional. 
So what ended up happening was I initially started doing research on applying computing to understand why babies were dying in their sleep. You may remember in those days the way that um, there was a disease called sudden infant death syndrome where a baby would suddenly get apnea in their yeah. sleep. So I was using computers. This is in 78 when a computer would occupy a huge mainframe to analyze sleep patterns to try to predict the onset of a baby's death. But I proved myself very good at doing that. In fact, I ended up publishing a paper as a teenager. And while I was doing this, Dr. Michelson, who was my mentor at that university, said, Shiva, you know, would you like to convert the old fashioned inner office mail system? So anyone over the age of 40, Gary, will remember this. This was a communication system of how organizations work next to the landline phone. It was really the social media before social media. So let's say you were going to hire someone, right? The doctor, all these offices in this university always had a office and a secretary, always a woman. And on her desktop, she had the, the computer, the inbox, the outbox, a drafts folder, the garbage can underneath her desk, huge you know, steel file folders, a little uh, ball, a little uh, bucket of, uh, you know, paper clips, right? She would write this thing called a memo on a typewriter. And, and that memo had a very particular structure to, from, subject. And sometimes she would do what's called a carbon copy. Let's say I was going to um, hire somebody, right? I would send a letter to my supervisor and maybe CC the hiring manager somewhere else, okay? And that would be a carbon copy where she'd have to take that white paper, put a piece of carbon paper, put another piece of white paper and type away. Now, if there were 10 carbon copies, she'd be typing away nine times, okay? So this is a very complex system. You had the concept of the blind carbon copy. You had registered mail. And these letters were initially, uh, the, the, you know, the doctor would dictate to the secretary. That would then go into the, the drafts folder and then it would be red line, and then she would retype it, go into the outbox, right? And then the guy would pick it up and she'd get mail in the inbox. They used pneumatic tubes. It was a very complex system. Now in those old mainframes, you could send simple text messages, Gary, that's not what I'm talking about. I was asked to convert this entire system to the electronic version. And the important point was my customers were these secretaries who had never seen the computer before. In fact, the typical men you know, were white lab coats, they didn't. They thought these people were inferior. Remember, in those days, a woman could only be a secretary, a housewife, a nurse, or a teacher, right? The thought of a woman using the computer was there was this hierarchy, this technology hierarchy, and it was never thought about. Um, in fact, years before, in fact, a year before I started the invention of email in December 1977, when the quote-unquote controversy was essentially created, we found a document by researchers in the military, you know, the nerds who were doing simple text messaging, and they had concluded in December of 1977, it was impossible to convert the inner office mail system into the electronic version because of the differing needs of users, right? Remember in those days, you had to know cryptic codes, simple text messaging is what they were doing, but I was asked to convert this entire system. And that's the word that will keep coming up, you know, as we have this discussion, it was a system, email, what I created was converting that entire inner office mail system, wow. which is an interconnected system of parts to the electronic version. And remember these secretaries were not gonna move from their inner office mail system unless it had all those features. It had to have the inbox, it had to have the outbox, it had to have the drafts folders, it had to have the carbon copy, it had to have the BCC, it had to be able to do attachments, okay? Registered mail. 
And so that's what I created in 50,000 lines of code in 8K of memory. So I had to write my own memory management tools, quite extraordinary looking back at it. And I named that system email. The reason I called it email was not an obvious term. So not only did I write all the code, Gary, with all those features, and named it email, a term never used before in the English language, because the operating system only allowed five characters, okay? If it was nine or something, I may have called it electromail. It was not an obvious term. Now it's obvious, right? Like many great things are. I created that one, one of the Westinghouse Science Awards, which was called the Baby Nobles. Wow. Um, and for me, this was, remember, I was a software engineer building it. I was customer service handling all the requests. Now this was deployed across a three campus a network, independent, you don't need the internet or the ARPANET, right? This is all nonsense, okay? In those days, computers were networked together, we had our own networks, and email ran, and we also charged for it, okay? Because in those days, people had time sharing, and this application was part of the time sharing thing, so people paid for it. And I held seminars. Dr. Michelson recalls, you know, hundreds of people would come to a seminar, it wasn't an eminent scientist, it was a 14-year-old kid, okay? I was training people, and that was the invention of email that took place in Newark, New Jersey, in a health sciences institution. So I've been around medicine. So email did not come from the military industrial complex. It came from helping women move from the typewriter to the keyboard. So email in many ways was the first computer application which liberated women, okay? Fascinating. So there's many, many fascinating layers to this. This was before I came to MIT. So in fact, when I came to MIT in September 2nd of 1981, on the front page of the official MIT newspaper, and by the way, if people want to go check this out, then go to the inventoremail.com site. We documented everything. Um, on that website, you will see the front page of the MIT Tech, which was the MIT administration's newspaper, and they highlighted three students, Gary, out of the 1,041. Look, it takes a lot. You have to be pretty good to get into MIT. And then I was three of the 1,041 highlighted saying, hey, we have this guy who created the email system. And I remember reading it, Gary, and I was brought up to be a very humble kid, didn't say a lot about it, went on with my life. The end of that fall, September, uh, December of 1981, I was elected student body president at MIT, always had an interest in politics, okay? And I went to the president's house, whose name was Paul Gray, who was science advisor to Reagan. And Dr. Gray had heard about this, and we had a conversation, because I, I didn't have parents like Bill Gates who were lawyers, right? My parents were humble, uh, you know, my mom was a, a programmer, my dad was an engineer, working people. And Dr. Gray said, Shiva, you should copyright it. And he said that, unfortunately, the Supreme Court did not recognize software patents. And so I wrote away this document that you see here, I wrote away for all of it. You know, in those days, you had to write away to send your 10 bucks, and I got the copyright forms. I filled it out. Those, that's my handwriting. As a, I think at that time, I was a 17-year-old kid submitted 50 all my code it went back and forth and on august 30th 1982 an american boy got issued the first u.s copyright for email officially recognizing me as the inventor of email the system as we know it today you see because in 1980 what happened was a copyright act of 1976 which protected movies and books was amended to become the copyright act of 1980 which allowed copyright to be used, and in fact, it became the Computer Software Act of 1980, to be specific, to use copyright to protect software inventions. So I wrote all the code, had it up and running, named it email, and have the first US copyright for it. Wow. Period. Fascinating. Right? So, so that is the invention of email. 
Now, I never made a penny off of it because copyright, unfortunately, doesn't protect the ideas, right? And it was only 1994 that the Supreme Court, the legislators catch up and they said, oh, software is a digital machine, right? No different than an iPhone or, a, or an engine of a car. Um, but this speaks to the fact that, you know, when you have politicians or people in Congress, 70, 80% of them being, you know, lawyers and lobbyists, they don't even understand the future. And so I was creating the future. That's what email was. It was the, my first instance in creating the future. Politicians do not create the future. So they didn't put in proper, you know, policy to protect young inventors like me. But, you know, I made money other ways. But that is the facts and the truth about the invention of email. And it, and it proves to the point that innovation can occur anytime, any place by anybody. This was before I went to MIT. And by the way, TV was invented by a 14-year-old boy called Philo Farnsworth in a symbol, similar humble circumstance in Franklin, Idaho. And when the facts came out, you know, major companies tried to destroy him. Eventually, he, he won a Supreme Court ruling and it took 60 years to get recognition. In my case, what was fascinating was it was about seven years ago when my dear mom was dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. She had saved all the computer code, all the tapes, all the copyright notes in a beautiful Samsonite suitcase. She handed it to me three uh, months before she died. And at that time, the editor of Time Magazine, the only journalist, Doug Ameth, reviewed all of this and he wrote an article, as you're showing, called The Man Who Invented Email. And that article really speaks to what is email and where did it come from. And then two months after that, in, in February 16, 2012, uh, it went into the Smithsonian. Now that should have been an occasion, Gary, for celebrating the American dream. Instead, what you see, in fact, there's a beautiful article written by a young African-American reporter called uh, uh, Dr. Shiva honored as the inventor of email. And then you see the vitriol emerge because it was like a new skull was found in Africa, Gary. Okay. And the vitriol did not come from, you know, white people. It came from the liberal academic elite who could not fathom that email could be invented outside of the bastions of their elite institutions. Look, it was okay to be a Zuckerberg or a or a Bill Gates because you were a dropout out of Harvard, right? But this was done before all of that in Newark, New Jersey, where everyday working people are. And you saw all this vitriol, people saying this curry stand Indian should be beaten and hanged. You know, these liberal academics. Thousands of calls came into MIT and I was teaching the most popular course uh, called Systems Visualization. I wasn't charging anything, by the way. Okay, unlike Elizabeth Warren, who was charging 350,000. People saying this guy's a fraud, a liar, uh, one uh, block said this curry stain Indian, as I said, should be beaten and hanged. Wow. Eventually, yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite horrible because I had been, if you look at my history at MIT between 1981 to 2007 or 12 at that point, I'd been on the front page of MIT for inventing many other things. Echo Mail, you know, being a Fulbright scholar, winning many awards. But the fact, in, in many ways, I was being a good Indian, you see? in their supporting their narrative of diversity and inclusivity, you see? Um, but when you start providing the truth that things like email, great inventions can occur before MIT, that perturbs a long-held narrative that great innovations must come out of war, must come out of the military-industrial academic complex. So that the invention of email is really not about me, but it's about truly what the American dream was all about, that, you know, Creating the future is what the American people have always done. 
And the liberal elites did not like that story. Fortunately, four years later, I was very fortunate to meet Charles Harder, who, by the way, is now President Trump's attorney, who saw my data. He took my case on contingency. Uh, Gawker Media was really the leader of this defamatory comments. In fact, they attacked my uh, Wikipedia site, you know, hired people because Raytheon, a multi-billion dollar defense company, had built the narrative that one of their guys who looked like a nerd was the inventor of email and it was supporting their large uh, enterprise, right? So when this stuff went in the Smithsonian, they were the ones who unleashed this help. There was monetary motivation. So we anyway, we sued Gawker Media and uh, for 35 million. It was right after Hulk Hogan had won a case. My case sort of was a nail in their coffin. They declared bankruptcy. And the, uh, the irony was I was uh, selected to be the co-chairman of the bankruptcy committee to sell them. The win was I got close to a million dollars. The three defamatory articles were pulled down. So it's a big victory. Wow. Fascinating story. Fascinating story. And now email is everywhere. It's commonplace, much like Twitter is. And that's uh, where I want to get to my next point here, uh, because you posted something last week that I reported on uh, your tweet. And it's this is where you said that the CV fear, the fear mongering by the deep state will go down in history as one of the biggest frauds to manipulate economies, suppress dissent and push mandated medicine. Now, you were tweeting in response to President Trump's claim that Democrats were inflaming the situation, the crisis, for political reasons. How did you come to the conclusion that what we're experiencing now is one of the biggest frauds in history? Yeah, so if you look at that tweet, if you can bring it up again, if I can ask you to do that, if you look at that tweet, the three things, it's, it's a very potent tweet, because first of all, you know, I got my PhD in biological engineering at MIT. No, I didn't pay for that. You know, no, you know, it, I got four degrees, in fact, at MIT because of my deep interest, remember, in medicine. And the Department of Biological Engineering was a new department MIT created in 2003 to really, because there was a revolution taking place in biology saying we needed to take a systems approach to biology. The second part of that tweet is I'm considered one of the renowned people, world-renowned people in understanding the immune system and precision and personalized medicine. In fact, four months before you know, I put this out, I was invited to present the, uh, the distinguished lecture at the National Science Foundation on my uh, thesis on the modern immune system. So that's one part of my scientific life. The, the other parts here are very important because we, you know, I've been a student of politics since I was a kid because I grew up in an India which had a caste system. People like, you won't find a lot of Indians like me here. Our, our, my parents were considered and I was considered an untouchable, which is the lowest of the lowest of the Indian caste system. It's like, you know, people calling the Trumpers deplorables, okay? Um, and so when you look at this, the tweet is really addressing three things. You have people using fear to manipulate economies, suppress dissent, which is what the, you know, the hierarchical system the upper caste used to do, shut up, you know, fall, fall in line, shut the hell up, right? And push mandated medicine because, look, the medical system we're moving towards is a top-down system, totally controlled by big pharma, big ag, and big vaccine manufacturers. And, and that's what I was putting up. So it's a very potent tweet because if you look at the uh, sustainable development goals that were put into, you know, signed off by the United Nations and all their countries in 2015, it's called SDG, you know, 2015, SDG3, which was signed in 2015. 
sustainable development goals. What it says is they paint a utopia, Gary, and you can read it. People should go check it out. You know, no income inequality support. You know, uh, there's no, uh, in fact, no sexuality anymore. You, you should go read it. It's quite extraordinary. It's this utopia of the elites. Okay. And subsequently in, in, in an immunization 2030 document as a addendum to that, they say the way we get to utopia, these 17 goals, is we must immunize everyone on the planet, e.g. vaccinate everyone, okay? It's quite extraordinary. So what we've developed, and the reason this is important is, look, I created a company called Cytosolve, C-Y-T-O-S-O-L-V-E. Cytosolve is uh, one of the other inventions I did out of my PhD work to use the computer to understand chemical reactions in our body and on our cell, to use basically use a computer to model diseases so we could eliminate the need for animal testing and we could discover how medicines interacted for toxicity as well as uh, for combination therapy. This is a, exactly what my uh, grandmother did, Gary. You know, she would combine different herbs. You know, when I made, there's a video I did recently on Twitter, I showed how you make chicken curry, right? Or lamb curry, okay? Or if you make, uh, you know, the history of humankind has been learning how to use our environment, food as medicine. So Cytosolve is this amazing invention, which allows me to do in a different way what my grandmother did intuitively, which is to understand the combinations and mixtures of chemicals to figure out medicines from food and, and natural products faster, cheaper, and safer. So that technology, when I, you know, when I built that, I said, wow, pharma guys would want to use this because it takes them 15 years to build a drug $5 billion, and I don't know if you know this, they're actually, the pharma industry is in peril right now. They're not making any money, really any money from pharmaceutical drugs because lots and lots of investment in R&D and they're getting less and less new drugs allowed by the FDA because of their toxicity. So what pharma companies have moved to is vaccines. The 1986 vaccine, the vaccine court was created. John Kennedy implemented the National Vaccination Act in 1962 under a, a fake science or an outdated science of the understanding of the immune system. That led to many injuries that took place between 1962 to 1986. In a response to those injuries, another Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, led the creation of the National Vaccine Injury Program, which led to the creation of the vaccine courts, not in the judicial department, but under Health and Human Services, which basically allowed indemnification of vaccine manufacturers so you couldn't sue them and the maximum liability for death was $250,000, okay? And so we're in a situation now that for pharma companies, vaccines are pure profit, no liability, no risk, they can't get sued, okay? So that's what I meant by mandated medicine because as someone who's been involved in this field for many years, when I came into looking at the one-size-fits-all vaccine program, there were other activists in this field, and frankly, many of them were controlled opposition. People like Bobby Kennedy was playing a good game, saying he's against vaccines. Meanwhile, he endorses Hillary Clinton, who is vaccine queen, okay? So the position I took was, I said, we need to really educate people on the immune system. You'll see the videos I started doing. They started going viral. A lot of the mothers said, wow, this guy's a real fighter. We've been involved in this movement for 17 years. It hasn't gone, any gone anywhere. Here's Dr. Shiva educating us, and the movement started taking off. And then, in fact, five days before the coronavirus stuff hit, about a week before, is when we won a major victory in New Jersey, okay, against these vaccine mandates. 
So that's what that tweet is about. It's really, uh, it's a pretty cool tweet when I look back. You know, it was a convergence of many things about what my life has been about, about politics, and essentially the deep state of a few set of people from the Gateses, the Gates Foundation to the Zuckerbergs to Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, congealed with the UN and the deep state elites, believing that they're gonna advance, they're gonna fear monger on coronavirus because of the ignorance of the medical profession. Most MDs do not know what the immune system is. They frankly have no idea. They don't even study, they don't even study nutrition. And based on that ignorance, they were going to scare the hell out of people with the coronavirus, you know, the quote unquote invisible enemy. I think I just put a tweet out. What an amazing way, right? You scare people with the virus, no one even can see it, right? And then you use that fear to essentially say, we need to do this for the quote unquote common good. That's what we're seeing go on. And it's, a, it's an amazing recipe for fascism. It's terrifying to consider. And what also is terrifying to consider is the there's speculation, considerable speculation, that the virus is actually a manufactured bioweapon. Now, the State Department, among others, are pushing back against that narrative, simply calling it Chinese and Russian disinformation. So let me ask you this. What are the origins of this theory? And is there any truth to it? Yeah, so the scientific, so let me go to the scientific origin and then some of the stuff, you know, my, one of my researchers, is, and I went through a bunch of documents on this. So first is, if you look at a virus, you're showing a picture there, uh, the virus is composed of broadly three major uh, entities, right? Those things that come out of it, those S proteins, those little protrusions, then the surface of the virus and the stuff inside the virus, which is a ribonucleic acid, which is really the quote unquote DNA of the virus. So what happens is this kind of virus, if you think about a big ball representing your cell, these little particles land on that cell and their goal is to get into the cell and use your cell's machinery to replicate themselves, okay? They don't destroy the cell, they use the cell's machinery to replicate and they replicate and they replicate, okay? So that's what a virus tries to do. By the way, um, we have about 380 trillion viruses in our body, it's called the virome. We have about 60 trillion bacteria in our body, and we have about 6 trillion cells, which is what we're made of, okay? Separate from those other things. So the virus essentially goal is to get into the cell. So first of all, it needs to be able to hang on to the surface, right? And be able to send its DNA, there you go, the, new, uh, the, uh, the RNA, into the cell, because when uh, that happens, it uses your own cell machinery through that RNA to replicate itself, okay? So that is sort of, you know, the, the, sort of the overview of what these viruses are trying to do. Now, the RNA sequence in this, um, in, in this, and so the two ways it gets in is a protein surface has to be able to stick, I'm making it sort of in simple terms, um, to be able to go in, into it. So the RNA, the, the sequence of this protein is about 1500 base sequences, which are different than the SARS or the mirrors, which are also coronavirus. By the way, the coronavirus is a class of viruses that create flus, okay? These ones create respiratory syndrome, okay? RS, um, acute respiratory syndrome is what SARS was and mirrors was Middle East respiratory syndrome and this is coronavirus, COVID. But what people noticed was that there was a sequence of that, this DNA around 1500 base pairs that were different 
than the others, and they're always different, right? That's where they're different virus. But the question comes in, was that difference um, formed from a natural mutation, okay? Because everything's constantly going through random mutation. And some people have asserted um, that the base sequences there are very difficult to occur in nature, okay? That they were recombined from other components. So that's where that comes from. So the issue really comes down, the scientific question is a probability of those base sequences being different, okay? That's where it comes from. Now, separate from that, there have been reports um, that the Wuhan virus was very different. The coronavirus in Wuhan was a different strain than the one that was in Iran versus the one that was in Italy. And there's reports that I've read, you know, I haven't, it's hard to verify a lot of this, that all of those different viruses go back to one common branch, which actually goes back to Fort Detrick, okay, in the United States and North Carolina. And, and there's other, you know, again, these are suppositions that the U.S. military or deep state sent people over to Wuhan, and that's how it got uh, given in, in China. This is one theory. And the reason this comes up is because if you look at the first 41 cases, first of all, they haven't been able to find case zero, okay? But of the 41 cases, approximately 13 of these people, they're, not, they're totally disconnected to these people, okay? So the thesis is that this came from somewhere else um, into Wuhan. Now, you know, if you, whether it came in or not, my view is that if you believe in the concept of a set of people who don't care about the U.S. national interests or the Chinese national interests or the Indian national interests or Italian, they're more care for their own global interests. And, um, you know, nowadays it would not, given, you know, the level of, um, collusion that we've seen that takes place on so many levels that, um, you know, you could view a scenario uh, where it got created by the deep state and got put out there really to suppress dissent. Let me tell you why. What was going on at this time? Hong Kong was blowing up. Remember that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and what people do not know is six months before the coronavirus, there were massive anti-pollution protests by Chinese citizens in Wuhan, in, in the same city where this came from. And remember, you don't protest in China without risking your life. It's not like they have the First Amendment there. So large numbers of people are taking to the street and protesting, tens of thousands, because the Chinese government was gonna build one of the largest incinerator plants, which was gonna just spew out pollution. By the way, the Paris Accords allows China to pollute, double their pollution. And the people in China, the everyday people really care about their health. And there have been pollution protests since 2007, anti-pollution protests. And But Wuhan was ex extremely growing. And then you don't hear any news about it. And then also remember, in the United States, the anti-vaccine movement was growing. Okay? So, you know, there's a scenario that becomes, to me, very interesting. You have Trump in the United States could not be taken down from Russian collusion. Trump could not be taken down from impeachment. Right? And how extraordinary is it that this thing comes out, the timeless of it, you see Hong Kong completely disappear, serves the globalists, because they don't have to do, because remember, any protest uh, is, creates uncertainty for globalism, right? You see Wuhan go away, and then you see now an argument is saying, of course we should vaccinate everyone, right? Against the anti-vaccine movement. So that's why I put that out. Wow. Um, and when you're a student of politics and a student of medicine, 
um, you start seeing these connections. And you also recognize that the academic elite in this country is basically practices the oldest profession. No one in the academic elite is saying anything. Fortunately, I don't owe anything to academia. I made my own money by myself. I have the training to call out a guy like a Fauci, you know, to call this out because I understand the science and most people in the field of immune systems don't really understand the science of immune systems. If you ask a typical doctor, they, if you ask them, well, what is a virus and how does the immune system work? They actually think that the virus is some big boogeyman, you know, it's got big claws like alligators and it goes into your body and starts eating your tissues, right? Like the Ebola thing and you spew blood and the vaccine blocks that, okay? That's their understanding of the immune system, and it's far from that, and we can talk more about that. Yeah, I want to get into the vaccine itself, because uh, that's certainly in the works, as you know. Uh, what is your opinion of this vaccine currently? Well, look, I think uh, there's several companies uh, attempting to do the vaccine, and one of the newest types of vaccine is called a nucleic acid vaccine, nucleic acids, right, where you're injecting... The old model of a vaccine was you actually take the virus particle itself, you create an attenuated version of it, which is a dead particle, you put it into your immune system, so you awaken your immune system's natural processes, so it builds antibodies and, you know, et cetera. Um, but the problem is those vaccines weren't working that well because they weren't getting the proper immune response, so they started adding aluminum and mercury and other what are called adjuvants, which have other disastrous effects based on you know, your body type. So here, what they're saying is we're going to inject in what's called the nucleic acid, essentially, uh, you know, uh, particles, just like DNA particles, which will find its way into the cells, and it'll actually hamper the virus replication process, okay? So it's a different kind of uh, effort versus creating antibodies. It's actually stopped the replication process. Look, vaccines, by the way, they don't, they're saying they don't need to be tested. Vaccines were considered... Gary is another class of interventions, not pharmaceuticals, not biomedical devices. They actually have a much lower threshold of safety testing. In fact, of the 30 vaccines recommended by the CDC for young kids, not one of them has been a placebo, saline placebo control tested. You'll find it's quite amazing. Um, and in fact, the one that they said they did a test on on the HPV Gardasil vaccine, it was a fraudulent test. That doesn't surprise me, honestly. It doesn't surprise me. So where do you, where do you think is going to happen with this vaccine? Do you think they're going to roll it out? Do you think they're going to mandate it like uh, they just passed that law in Denmark? Yeah, so as in, right, on Thursday of last week, uh, by the way, Denmark is considered by the UN, you know, per their sustainable development goals, as one of the, uh, as a country that epitomizes, next to Sweden, you know, the hallmark of those goals. And on Thursdays, uh, Denmark said that we can, they can forcibly go into people's homes and vaccinate people with police, which means military. So look, um, when you're developing things these fast, you don't know the side effect of these things. And what we're saying is, you know, we don't care about the side effects. We need to get this vaccine out. So it's creating some very important precedents that Americans need to be concerned about. First, what's gonna happen next year, okay? Well, they're creating a condition basically saying for medical fascism saying well um gary look what happened last year you don't want to crash the economy do you we're gonna have to vaccinate you that's and forget 
the fact that we actually look at the immune system, that the immune system, uh, the people who get harmed, uh, or uh, it's not the virus that harms them. This is something that's fundamental, which I've been trying to harp on. Fauci, you know, he's not talking about this. So we have an ignorant uh, set of educated elites and they're taking advantage of the American people because what they're saying is there's this boogeyman called the virus, okay? And you need the vaccine to help you stop that, okay? Boogeyman, savior. Boogeyman, savior. Savior's Bill Gates, right? Clinton Global Initiative, et cetera, big pharma. And that's well, basically all... what, what this is because if you actually understood the immune system, it's laughable. The reality is um, the immune system has evolved over billions of years. We grew up in bacteria and virus. We're supposed to play out in dirt. That's how the immune system gets turned on. The people, so what happens is it's people who have immunocompromised immune systems, which means their immune systems are not firing on all cylinders. So imagine you have three cylinders, it's only firing on two. You know what happens? The third cylinder has to take all up all the effort, right? Well, that third cylinder in, in, in immunology is called cytokines. It fires so hard that it overreacts and it starts not only attacking the virus surface, but also starts attacking your own tissue differentially based on the proteins of that virus. You follow what I'm saying? So it's your own body attacks itself because of a weakened and dysfunctional immune system. Well, how do you get a weakened and dysfunctional immune system? Well, eat crap all day, eat sugar all day, okay? Eat a diet that's no longer has any vitamin D and nutrients. In some ways, I was talking to one of my Customers, you know, I run a company called Cytosolve, which we help companies actually create great products with this technology. And he was saying, you know, this is sort of Darwinian right now. The people for years who've been eating garbage, the people for years who've been victimized by dirty air, dirty water, dirty food, their immune systems are compromised. Now, look, also as you age, right, your thyroid function goes down, your HCL levels go down, your vitamin A levels will get suppressed, right? and you don't get enough vitamin D, and nor is your body able to really do proper digestion, right? So what ends up happening in this entire process, you have weakened immune systems. We should have been calling, if they really cared, we should have been calling you know, for real uh, emergencies for the fact that we have 20, 30% obesity rate in this country, is that people's immune systems are shot. So instead of address, so we feed people garbage, 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 dirty air, dirty water, dirty food, right, across all establishment parties. And then when a virus hits, isn't it an amazing opportunity to really force the further narrative you need pharmaceuticals and vaccines? When we don't want to un un address the underlying issue, which is immune health. And that's why I wrote that, president, uh, that letter to the President of the United States. This is really about immune health. This is the fact that we don't get enough vitamin D, we don't get enough vitamin A, we don't get enough vitamin C. I mean, there's other things, but we can focus on those three things. In Chad, in African country of Chad and Djibouti, I forget how to pronounce it, there's only been one COVID case and only one, no deaths. Why is that? Well, because people live probably lives that we should probably think about living. They're out in the sun. They're, you know, digging up roots. We may consider these people third world, but we almost have to reconsider what the hell does it mean to be in a first world country if we're filled with toxins filled with these kinds of mandates, or kids are eating garbage. When you eat high sugar diets, your body produces candida. It knocks down your, you know, uh, certain gliotoxins, which, um, which essentially 
um, knock down your macrophages and your T cells, two important cylinders in your immune system. So what we're doing is we're basically destroying the immune health of our people. So the solution is pretty simple. At least get out in the sun. If you can't do that, you got to boost up on vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D. Vitamin D, I'm going to do. I'm going to be doing a video on this to explain this to people. Literally creates through a, uh, through a set of pathways uh, uh, very interesting molecules, which are the fuel to your macrophages. Which well, I take. I take vitamin D every day. You got to You got to do that. I mean, look. Uh, I can tell you what I would do, you know, from the medical advice, everyone should go and talk to their doctors, but the problem is they don't know a lot. Um, but you know, five to 10,000 I use is not a bad thing to do if you're not out in the sun all the time, which we're not daily. Yeah, um, I take I take about five to 10,000 depending on, you know, the, the, the style, either it's a droplet or it's a pill and the pill has some uh, probiotics built into it. Uh, yeah, Dr. Mayor Eisenstein was the one who turned me on to vitamin D years ago. Who's that? The late Dr. Mayer Eisenstein. I said, look, where does vitamin A come from? The dark, rich vegetables and fruits, okay? And where does vitamin D come from? The sun. So it's like basic, basic stuff. Fruits and vegetables, get some sun, okay? Well, if we're living in households where we're not getting sun, we're not getting fruits and vegetables, and we have a depleted culture for 25 years, and we have Monsanto, you know, driven, uh, uh, you know, food, um, which basically those pesticides affect the gut microbiome, which throw our gut off, and then we're eating high sugars. I mean, it's a recipe for death, but we're not addressing that. We're like hyping up this virus, fear-mongering it, fear-mongering it, fear-mongering it. And what is the result? You have people hiding out in homes, people getting ready to accept fascism, and people not addressing the fundamental issue, which is immune health. Well, let's if talk you want about to make our kids strong. It's immune health. Let's talk about the team that the president has assembled, uh, his team of experts, and they're already talking today, this morning. They're talking about get ready. This is going to be seasonal. Uh, they're already conditioning the public to accept that. And I, as I'm driving through, or before the whole shutdown in Illinois here, uh, driving through any walgreens or walmart parking lot you see signs for flu vaccine and all these different things i'm in, i'm envisioning a time where we're going to see the, the same thing coronavirus vaccine is free for everyone today right so that's i think a future well, it's going to be even more it's going to even be more unfortunate than that it'll be oh gary you know your driver's license is coming up for renewal did you get all your vaccines you can't oh, travel Hey, you can't take the train or the bus. Hey, you can't go to the gym. You can't go here. This is where this is headed. A gym will say, well, we can't allow you in here, Gary. You know, we don't want to harm all of our other people, right? Do you remember when, um, who was it? Michael Jordan played with the flu. People are like, wow, look at Michael. You know, he's playing there with the flu. He's strong, right? Remember that? Oh, yeah. So what I'm saying is this entire thing is a master setup. It's chess move after chess move. And it's brought to you by Anthony Fauci. Let's talk about and, Anthony Fauci yeah. for a second here because he's a member of the team of experts and advisors who are guiding who are guiding through this new territory. Uh, but now we're learning from the WikiLeaks drops that there that he is a huge supporter of Hillary Clinton, uh, and somebody somebody you have actually called destructive. Why should we be concerned with the advice that the president is getting from Fauci? 
Anthony Fauci, in my view, should be indicted, okay? If people actually knew what this guy actually did, um, and if the president actually knew what he did, the problem is that the president, you know, he fought the Russian collusion thing, he fought the impeachment thing, and um, this is the last real important, I think this is probably the most important fight uh, that needs to be dealt with. Anthony Fauci, if you know his history, you know, he's um, he's been with the government uh, for nearly, he's been with the government for nearly over, you know, since Reagan times, 40, 50 years, okay? Uh, Fauci was a guy who was, Fauci was a guy who was um, uh, around since Reagan times, okay? Um, and then Bush and Obama and all the presidents up to here. How did he build his career? People should go look at his career. He built his career on the false narrative that HIV causes AIDS. Do you remember AIDS, the whole AIDS scare? Oh, yeah. I was terrified yeah, so when I was growing up learning about that. entire career on HIV causing AIDS. All right. Peter Duisberg, uh, who I've spoken to, who, who, who was a truly great scientist, you know, the youngest guy to get tenure at Berkeley, uh, one of the youngest members of the National Academy of Sciences. Peter, you know, won every award uh, that NIH had to do. But when Peter said, wait a minute, there is no causal relationship between this virus, HIV, which he considered a very harmless virus, and AIDS, he was vilified, you know, all of his grants went away. And the guy that promoted this lie was Fauci's predecessor by the name of Gallo, Robert Gallo. Robert Gallo was brought up on scientific misconduct charges. He literally stole the HIV virus from France. He couldn't produce enough of the virus because they couldn't find it, okay? He created a bogus HIV test. And the result was Fauci came to his rescue. I think there was a power play. Fauci essentially became, uh, took the lead. Gallo was put into the back. And that was the beginning of this guy's career. You know, he writes about how he hangs out with Bono and, you know, remember the whole AIDS and all the stupid celebrities getting involved in this nonsense, right? Oh, yeah. This was a, so Fauci, he's a veteran of this. This ain't his first rodeo. He learned how to create bogus science, to promote bogus science, to create the fear of HIV causes AIDS. Billions of dollars were spent on this. A lot of people died because people use drugs like AZT. I had a very good friend of mine who died from it. And, you know, people didn't learn HIV is frankly a harmless virus. Okay. The people who are dying from it were, again, immunocompromised. Gays at that time, you know, were having 1,500 partners. We're doing meth, amphetamines, all sorts of drugs. They were destroying their immune system. You had IV drug users who were destroying their immune system, and you had people getting blood transfusions, not because of the virus in the blood, but because they would get immunosuppressive drugs. The simple point here from a scientific standpoint is when you lower and you destroy the immune system. So Fauci doesn't want to talk about that. Everything is about the boogeyman of viruses, okay? It well, is a, the biggest fraud that's taking place. Fauci knows what he's doing. He's been doing this. He is the face of pharma and vaccines, and he sees his opportunity to become, you know, the hero in all of this. Now, that's what's going on. Taking a step back here and looking at all the information you've just presented to me, the way I'm taking it in, and I'm and I'm comparing it to the information I've been ingesting over the past several weeks, the one big narrative that I've that I've seen that's been presented is that. Well, more people die from the flu, 
But there's this massive, massive, terrifying visual of people uh, being intubated and people eating bats and all this uh, horrific Drama. visual propaganda. And now we're in a we're, states are in lockdown mode. Uh, National Guard has been deployed. State guards have been deployed. Tents are being set up in cities and in Walmart parking lots and hospital parking lots. And you're you're having this this the spirit of fear descend on this country and the world at large. Uh, but compare this, why don't we do the same thing for the flu? Well, it's a good question because people weren't adopting the flu vaccine as much as they thought, okay? And furthermore, the flu vaccine is very, very ineffective if you actually read the papers. So you have to understand pharma and media work very closely together. Uh, many, many years ago, you know, one of the companies I built, remember I told you in 1993, I had my second life with email, which was actually creating technology to handle inbound email. Um, this was, I originally did it for the Clinton White House. The White House was getting tons of inbound email. They ran a contest. I was a graduate student at MIT to automatically read and process emails. I ended up winning that contest, Gary, and I started a company called Echo Mail, E-C-H-O-M-A-I-L. By the way, the infrastructure, which, which I'm contributing to the cause right now, where we are setting up teams of medical doctors, you know, MDs who actually practice nutrition, nutritional medicine. So people send an email to corona at systemshealth, S-Y-S-T-E-M-S health.com. That goes through our technology um, and it's secure and people and the doctors are logging in and responding, okay, to give medical advice. But anyway, the point is that when I created that technology, I had many people starting to want to use this for analyzing email, okay? Because we would figure out the email, put together a response, and really lowered the cost of customer service. One of the companies that was very interested in, in knowing about this was um, one of the leading PR companies in the world called Burson Marsteller, okay? Big, big um, uh, PR company. And I remember going out as a young kid, uh, young entrepreneur, I was running my company, meeting with one of the senior executives. And this was over dinner. And he was openly sharing, boasting about how Burson helps companies in crisis management, okay? It's a big PR company, but their focus is crisis management. And he was saying that um, Eli Lilly at that time was having a major problem. Prozac sales were going down, okay? He was called in as the senior account strategist to help Eli Lilly boost his sales. And I said, well, what did you do? He goes, well, first I went to Eli Lilly change their branding. Hey, you're no longer a drug company. You're, you you helped the world. I forget what the, lo what the branding was. And he goes, second thing he goes, I had them do was spin out some nonprofit companies. One of the nonprofits, he said, was a company, was an organization which said, we need to protect battered women. Okay. Obviously, right? Who wants to see women get battered? And that organization took out ads which was full page ads, which would, if you saw it in a newspaper, would say, is your husband beating you? Do you know if of someone, one of your friends, you know, they targeted women, right? Wh whose who's, um, husband is beating them? Make sure they're taking Prozac. So the reason I'm sharing this with you is, so they create a narrative of we're trying to help the distressed, right? And we are the drug company. We want to help all these darkies in Africa and India, etc. You know, we need GMOs, okay? Gates is a savior, okay? These guys are very clever at creating, spending millions of dollars to create the narratives of helping the quote unquote, the oppressed, and then they will inject them with their pharmaceutical drugs. Forget the fact, and this is, you wanna talk about racism, this is a racism coming from these liberal elites. 
These indigenous people actually knew how to take care of their health. Okay, the Celts knew how to take care of the health. All of us who came from indigenous cultures, Italians, Indians, we all had our oregano, right, cumin. We knew how to eat food. Food is where we're supposed to get health. But they don't want to believe. They don't want us to believe in our grandmothers, you know, our traditional cultures. They want to believe in this idiot, okay, Bill Gates, who, by the way, never created DOS, okay. He didn't write fifty thousand lines of code. I did. You know, his mama and papa introduced him to people, and he went and bought someone else's DOS and flipped it. Okay, but he's a Harvard dropout, and he was able to patent his stuff, so he gets to be a gazillionaire. See what I'm saying? Or a Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. So these guys have built false histories of their eminence in the technology field. They leverage it to say they're going to be saviors, and that savior solution is not food, is not you know, exercise activities. It's about injections into the bloodstream of people and to control them. That's what they're talking about. And every American needs to wake up that the lawyer lobbyist, the people I'm running against, I'm running against three lawyer lobbyists, I'm the only scientist or an inventor, a guy who works for a living. These lawyer lobbyists are the people who implement the desires of the deep state. That's what's going on. So what we're witnessing right before us should be a wake up call to every person. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent. The issue of health goes beyond all those parties. And what you will realize, all of those establishment parties want to hurt you and want to control you and want to make you part. They want to make you a little atomic unit where you become a revenue generator for people like Fauci's clan and these kind of people. Because, and they practice fake science. And no, no academic at MIT, Harvard will say anything. You know why? Because they owe their grant money to people like Fauci. Because it's a cabal. If you say anything, you're out. That's what happened to Peter Duisberg. Okay. Wow. So that's what we're dealing with. And unfortunately, you know, that's, you know, the president, he may have good gut instincts, but he's not able to expose these people. And, you know, I have had calls from senior level economists all over the country saying, Shiva, I saw your videos. You need to keep doing them. The president is being bamboozled by this circle around him. And that's why I wrote that letter, Gary. Let's talk about and that letter now. Viral. And everyone should uh, get that letter. Everyone, you know, it'll be up on our website. You look, I mean, uh, it may be up right now, but uh, right on the Shiva for Senate website, we're putting a, a link to that letter. And that letter basically lays out in three, pay four pages, very clearly what the problem is, that you have a fake science of the immune system Here's the real science. And I actually proposed to the president a protocol, which is basically vitamin A, vitamin A, D, C, and some iodine. And I said, let's triage people into four groups. Those people COIVID, let's put them in one group, right? Give them this protocol. Those people are immunocompromised, let's give them this group, right? Those people who are uh, in critical care, let's give them, you know, uh, uh, particularly IV, vitamin C. And the third group who are healthy, let's give them some maintenance dose and get them back to work. That's what we should be doing, not one size fit all medicine, right? This is treat everyone like, you know, like they're basically part of the, you know, some deep state party, right? We're just minions. So it seems like, yeah, what they're providing here is a one size fits all solution. One size fits all medicine. That's when, a form of medical fascism, right? What you need is different than what I need. Your genetics, your needs are very different than mine. And in fact, in 2003, when I went back to MIT to 
pursue my PhD, MIT created a new department called biological engineering, which I was one of the first early graduates. And one of the tenants at that time was personalized medicine, the right medicine for the right person at the right time. So people like Fauci aren't even practicing modern medicine. He's practicing outdated fake science medicine. Wow, there he is. He's criminal. So you sent and this he letter. Developed this whole shtick, you know, the, the little glasses, the little gray hair. These guys build their little shticks. And I've been around them, no different. You know, look, I was in Hollywood, I've been at MIT. They're not that different, okay? They're not that different. Particularly the people who are not that good scientists and like not that good actors, okay? They want to be celebrities and they want to be academics, very different than real actors or real scientists. Now let's talk we about- have, We have a preponderance of celebrities and we have a preponderance of academics, both who practice the oldest profession in the world right now, both of them, both sets of people. Now, you're currently running for Senate in Massachusetts as a Republican against Ed Markey, uh, who's been endorsed by Elizabeth Warren. Uh, and now your campaign, we reported on this when, when, when you came out some time ago, uh, touted a real Indian versus a fake Indian. I thought that was amazing. Uh, are you willing to take a DNA test to prove your Indian heritage? I did. I actually took a DNA test. You know, I sent three to Warren. I was the one who's, you know, Trump called her Pocahontas, but I was the one who took it all the way. She decided to take the DNA test because of me, because Gary, you couldn't get out of Massachusetts. We had so many of these big four by eight signs which said only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian picture of me and picture worn in her headdress. And that was again about the same issue, about integrity, about manipulating things, right? You know, Elizabeth Warren's trying to manipulate her biology, just like Fauci's trying to manipulate the understanding of the immune system. And he's, he's relying on people's ignorance. Same thing with Elizabeth Warren, academic. Etc. And if you think about Massachusetts, Massachusetts is really the epicenter of the deep state. That's what Massachusetts is. It's not Washington, D.C. All of the swamp, if you actually take the deep state and think about it, I have my microscope here and you put a microscope, you go to, you know, 100x and you go deeper and deeper zoom. Then you start seeing the swamp scum, right? You see the swamp, then you see the scum. And if you go deeper, you find out the swamp scum, the connective tissue of the swamp scum is a bunch of lawyers and lobbyists, okay? Those are the connective tissue if you zoom in, you know? Wow. And that swamp scum comes in a one mile radius between MIT and Harvard, all of them. That's where they come. That's why winning in Massachusetts, my election, our election for US Senate is no longer a US Senate race for Mass in Massachusetts. We have so many volunteers coming from below, a lot of mothers, women, and as well as from outside of Massachusetts because they see this as an election for truth, freedom, and health. And they see someone like me who's actually one of them. They want some one of them fighting for them, a working class kid who worked his butt off, not a Kennedy. You know, I'm running against three potential guys, right? Markey, who's the incumbent senator who's, who's been in Congress for 50 years. Never, I, I, people should start asking, can, what can you make? Can you make a piece of software? Can you build a bridge? Do you know how to fix a plot? You know, nothing. Then, because they were afraid that I would beat him, they ran another dope, Joe Kennedy, okay? Again, a nice, you know, guy who's a liberal aristocrat. You know, $70,000 private schools for high school, gets into Harvard Law School, gets a nice DA job on the Cape where he can hang out with his family, hang out in the sun. And now he believes this is his inheritance, already has $50 million in inheritance, and God knows how he made that, right? 
He didn't. Everything I've earned, everything you've earned, most of us earn money for a living, right? These guys have no skills, nothing. And then when they knew that I'd probably beat him, Gary, they decided to run in uh, some other moronic lawyer who's got like 100 Twitter followers, okay? And the GOP establishment. But the bottom line is this election in Massachusetts is really gonna be the dialectic that represents what's going on in this country, a producer versus a parasites. Producers versus parasites. That's what we're looking at. Do we wanna vote for producers, people who make stuff, or do we wanna continue voting for parasites? And especially in a time of crisis like this, who do we want helping us? Do, look at who Trump's surrounded with. He's surrounded with vipers right now, total vipers. Well, let's take a look at a clip from yesterday. Your opponent, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Elizabeth Warren, uh, blaming Senate Republicans for not passing a financial relief bill. Roll the tape. Let's negotiate over the dollar Senator, numbers. we're up against the clock, so I have to keep jumping sure. in, so forgive me. In this bill, there are checks for everyday Americans. The reason this bill hasn't gone through is because of Democratic senators. Do you want to be the person that's stopping people from getting their checks to meet their rent at the end of this month? Excuse me, the reason this bill has not gone through is because of Republican senators and because of a Republican leadership that pretended to negotiate for three days with the Democrats and then at the end of that time basically introduced their own bill. Their own bill that did not have compromises and that did not make sure that the money is going down to the grassroots. So there was Elizabeth Warren. What is your reaction? Look, um, in the in politics, one of the things I learned as a kid, because I, you know, because I was very interested in politics, Gary, I took it in, a, in a, from a standpoint of physics and understanding, and I, I try to educate others. There are really three forces in any political situation. Two of them are against the people. Only one of them is for the people. One of the forces is the existing, you know, overt, you know, establishment, right? Um, openly out there to want to screw people. And everyone says, oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're the establishment, right? And then you have everyday people on the ground who want to change things. And they may not do it perfectly. They may do it in very different ways. Um, you know, like when the revolutionaries we fought, the, uh, uh, you know, the colonialists, right? We didn't march in their nice little orders. We threw all sorts of stuff at them. We did guerrilla warfare. But that's the real change agents. But in between change agents and the establishment comes a third group, what I call the NSOE, the not so obvious establishment. It's almost like a force of nature. And the not so obvious establishment is created by the establishment that speaks the rhetoric of change like Warren was just doing. You know, I wanna help the grassroots. You know, it's, you know, they act as though they're for the people. When what they do is they exist to speak that rhetoric to sucker, to sucker young people, people want change into into their vacuum and they suck them back into the establishment controlled opposition gary that's what warren is all about you know she's you know she talks about she cares for people all of this and that but ultimately what she cares about is strengthening state capitalism crony capitalism and you can see that in a very simple way the way you can test these guys on it is they always want to do regulations 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 right and ultimately, what you realize, regulations actually help the big guys, big guys. So she did Dodd, supported Dodd-Frank. Well, what did Dodd-Frank do? Dodd-Frank actually supported banking regulations, which only the big four or five of the big bankers could afford. And it destroyed nearly two to 3,000, 4,000 small banks. What made, makes America great 
and and hopefully will continue to is the small banks. We have 12,000 small banks. You want to get a loan, you build a relationship with your local banker. You don't have to go to a behemoth bank like in other countries. So Elizabeth Warren's policy of re regulatory policies help the big guys. You know, Mark Zuckerberg right now wants to be regulated. You know why? Because he can keep out smaller Facebooks out because only he can be able to afford regulatory policies. So Warren, it's a backhanded way of supporting the establishment. They always speak about regulations, regulations as though that's going to help everyday people. What it does, it actually increases cost uh, and it increases, you know, actually increases, you know, uh, and, it, and it's a way to keep out the small guys. So Elizabeth Warren is part and parcel of the establishment and that's what she's about, period. You know, and what you see in here is she's talking about the grassroots and et cetera. It's, it's nonsense. She's a fake Indian. Always well, will be a fake Indian. And in fact, what the DNA test showed was when she took it, you know, we, I sent her a DNA test kit, by the way. She, re, the idiot returned it. I tweeted it out, went viral on the internet. I got a lot of, you know, I, was, I got a, a lot of great press out of that. We ran a DNA dance party for her, invited her to come around her home. She didn't show up. So anyway, but we had all these signs and she finally takes a DNA test. And what does she do? She has to find someone to sprinkle in from Peruvian and some Mexican genes, even to get up to one out of 1024. So you're looking at someone who's, who is the epitome of the academic elite who thinks they can simply lie and cheat. That's what they do. And that's what Fauci is. Fauci and Warren are the same ilk. They lie, they cheat, they move the goalposts all day long. And that's how they survive. Let's talk about uh, some of the things Elizabeth Warren uh, and the rest of the Democrats believe need to be included in this uh, CV relief bill. Okay, the first one, rather shocking. I mean, the, the laundry list that they've included is, I mean, it's ridiculous. No voter ID to get a ballot, an anonymous ballot harvesting. How does this correlate to the pandemic and how would this affect your, your campaign, your race? Well, I think there's another provision in the bill also for going uh, cashless, right? To creating a digital cash for the Creating a digital currency, a digital U.S. dollar. That's another point as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I believe is happening right now before our very eyes is the invisible enemy, quote unquote, coronavirus, right, is being exploited. And this is all very well planned to execute all the, the globalist, uh, if you want to use that term, or imperialist. Uh, agenda of the deep state. So you want to eliminate all borders. That's what essentially eliminating voter ID, you know, IDs is. I mean, I was shocked. I never voted in my life because I didn't care for uh, electoral politics. When Trump ran was the first time I voted uh, because I liked the fact that he was a disruptor and he was going after both parties. And I remember going to vote. They didn't even ask for my ID. I said, you, you don't need my ID? They go, nope. So it was, you just walk in, you say where you live. And they, it's, it's, I found it quite incredible. You know, Third world countries don't allow this, right? The so-called places where we think they do, uh, you know, there's cheating going on. Total opportunity for cheating. And that's what the deep state wants. And by the way, when I say deep state, some in the GOP establishment also want this, right? Because they're part of the democratic elite party. Uh, these things like the cashless society, again, they're using the fact, oh my God, we, want, we don't want people passing viruses by touching cash, right? It's basically a pretext for essentially going to negative interest rates. They own our money, nothing is tangible. Everything is tracked, everything you use is monitored. It's basically the advance of top-down rule. So think about this, 
you're going to control people's bloodstreams and then you're going to control every activity that they do and the 5g issue you know i've been asked what do i think about from a health standpoint i haven't had a chance to go into that but i can tell you 5g is an opportunity to put cameras everywhere with ai the same ai we gave to the chinese to watch lip movements so you can understand what people are saying and so that's that's the future that we're looking at it's not a future of innovation it's a future of using technology to help head us into the dark ages and that's why we need to start supporting you know or fighting for open free speech um you know our campaign is truth freedom and health and it's, it's a, it seems like very simple but i spent a lot of time you know talking about this you know freedom means truthful free speech right open discourse it doesn't mean you attack someone call them a fraud and when you sue them go crying because you said i didn't invent email when i did and you try to attack me i'm talking about truthful free speech that's what the constitution supports open discourse and debate and that's the soil for real science and from which we may uncover real truth to identify you know as this quote says real problems so to innovate real solutions for the health of our body, community, and the world. I, this was up before the coronavirus thing went up, Gary, but the fundamental issue is when you suppress free speech, you can you basically uh, move to scientific consensus, not the scientific method. This is really important. You use the input of controlling speech. There's no more scientific method, which means you actually have to do experiments and find the hard thing of what's actually taking place. You create scientific consensus, with scientific consensus, you can create lies and from which you can use to create a fake problem and a fake solution. Oh my God, CO2 is a pollutant, right? Fake problem and you create a fake solution. We need to impose, you know, carbon tax. Well, the real solution is we need to lower pollution, right? <laughs> and uh, the Paris Accords allows China to pollute going from 11 billion carbon metric tons to 22. India gets to pollute. So it's so fake problem, fake solution, fake problem. Oh my God, these viruses are going to kill us all. No, that's the fake problem. The real problem is we have immunocompromised people. The real solution is how do we beef up the immune health of people? Well, that means we have to attack corruption because these corrupt lawyer lobbies, politicians are the ones who destroyed our air, water and food. OK, so they don't want to talk about that. They rather move this thing to a, a boogeyman, control you, quarantine you, you know, vaccinate you. That's where we're headed. And yeah. this is what people need to wake up to. That's why I keep saying the son of poor farmers from India, the, the, you know, the son of working class kids in New Jersey, uh, you know, which is what many of us are. We're working class people out here. We create stuff. And this election in Massachusetts, everyone listening should get behind it. Whether you give one dollar, two dollars, whether you want to uh, donate to us, it's important. By the way, Gary, one of the things I shared, which is important, people go to my website and they click on that donate button. I hate taking money from people without giving something. It's just who I am. I just can't do it because I know people work so hard for their money like my parents did. So when people give us money, if they give 25 or more, I've created a, a book, an online ebook that teaches them the fundamentals of systems thinking, systems theory, so they can understand how their body is a system, everything is a system. And then I give them a tool that they can actually understand their particular body type and and they can figure out how foods and these kinds of things manipulate their bodies so if you click on donate you'll see it right there if you go right to it you'll see and i want to talk about this and if you scroll down and scroll down you'll see those are the things that i'm offering people and these are things that um and it's right online and so people can get it immediately 
System and Revolution is a very powerful book. It was for my 40 years of research distilling how anyone can understand the principles of systems. And then they can use this tool to understand how their body is a system, how everyone is unique, and how foods and things can be used as inputs to support our body as a system. And I'm, you know, I've embedded it into my campaign. You know, the other idiots, the other lawyer lobbyists, you know, they just call up people and ask for money, 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 right? That's all they do. They don't create anything. So we're at a point in this country, people have to wake up and say, do I want to put someone in there as one of me who's gonna protect and help create the future? Or do I want someone who's gonna control me and control the future and deny me freedom, deny me truth, deny me, deny me health? It's very simple. This is a black and white choice. Do you want truth, freedom, and health? Or do you want power, profit, and control? That's where we're at. And a lawyer and a lobbyist is not gonna deliver that. Now, there's other issues that the Democrats are attempting to inject into the relief legislation, corporate pay statistics by race and race statistics for all corporate boards and companies receiving assistance, bail out all current debt of the Postal Service for companies accepting assist assistance one-third of the board members must be chosen by workers, a full offset of airline emissions by 2025, greenhouse gas statistics for individual flights, and then permanent paid leave at companies receiving assistance. Will you please help me and our viewers understand the correlation between these issues and the CV relief package for the American people? Well, from the Democrat standpoint, Gary, it's all in alignment, right? Because this fear-mongering, as I said in that tweet, that's why I think it went so viral, because it hit the heart of this issue. And everything I said in that very potent tweet is coming true. The, the deep state, which is the right terminology to use here, has always wanted to consolidate power, profit, and control. So we, they created this fear. Everyone's quarantined, right? Uh, the economy is, you know, essentially they have the economy by, you know, the short hairs. And the entire goal here is to use this framework, use this opportunity to put everything in, right? Throw everything in that they wanted, right? Carbon tax, right? Uh, if they truly want to control, um, you know, what they're talking about is nationalization of companies, okay? This isn't even classic, quote unquote, if you read Marx, Marx never even talked about this, okay? In fact, Engels and Marx said that the worst people were the Marxists. And if you actually read Das Kapital, you know, which people should at some point read, it's so different than what's actually being practiced here by any means. The Marxists are the ones who have taken away all the freedom in many ways, because what they're talking about is creating a mammoth state. They're talking about the state merging with the heads of industry. This is China 2.0. In many ways, Gary, what I feel is going on is I feel China we're gonna become a colony of China. You know, and made in China means the essence of China is being exported here. What is China? China is basically state capitalist. It's you take all the Fortune 1000 leaders of the uh, Fortune 1000 and you merge them with the government. It's nationalization. That isn't workers control. That's not workers control. It's not, it's a fake version of workers control. It's fake workers power. You know, if you want real workers power, it's bottoms up, you decentralize things to the edges, not you centralize things to top-down control where the government controls things. It's not even 
anything supporting workers. Um, you know, one by, you know, I've read this stuff. People should go read some parts of Marx. Marx talked about something called the lumpen proletariats. Do you know who they are, Gary? They're not workers. They're the people who sit on the sideline, collect welfare checks, are criminals, don't do any work. And he distinguished that between people who actually produce value and the proletariats. The Marxists have elevated the lumpen proletariats to mean workers. That's what's happened. The people who do nothing, produce nothing, including themselves, including these politicians, the lawyers, lobbyists, that's who they want to fund. So if they want to you know what I think they should do, Gary? Here's my advice to them. Why don't they apply? Why don't they apply this concept to universities? Why don't they start with Elizabeth Warren's university, Harvard University? Okay. Why don't they start with MIT and Yale and Stanford? Why don't we have the students being running those universities? Why don't we have in Cambridge the citizens whose properties MIT and Harvard stole? You know, Harvard and Harvard and MIT do not pay any property tax. They're fifty billion dollar hedge funds. Okay. We don't see them talking about those entities because those entities are the entities which is the ones coming up with these idiotic ideas. Wow. You have downloaded so much information in, into my brain and we are on the same page in so many, so many ways. Um, I know that this interview is going to go viral, much like a lot of your other work has, because uh, we've, we've touched on so many points here that are critical to this very moment in American history. And I mean, we've been going on for, I think over 80 minutes now, this was supposed to be a 30 minute interview, uh, but I'm really happy that we were able to give you a platform here to present these ideas. We're gonna make this thing viral. Everyone watching right now, please make sure you go to the website. It's on the screen, shiva4senate.com. There's also links down below to all of Dr. Shiva's social properties. I wanna make sure you follow him and follow his work. Dr. Shiva, before we go, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I can distill, to, to, if, if people wanna understand everything I've talked about it and to keep it simple, if you can take a piece of paper and draw a triangle, everyone just draw a triangle, okay? You know, I'm gonna draw the, a triangle you right now. Do this. This, this is how you can distill, because you know, one of the things I learned from one of my third grade teachers is, great teacher, Mrs. Hall, you know, and another good professor at MIT was, the academics try to make things so complicated, Gary, right? The essence, and to me, when I feel I've done something really good, like a piece of art, by the way, I have a degree in art and design, is when you remove all the BS and you distill it down to something that is so simple, but without losing the complexity. So this triangle that I'm gonna talk with you will give you a way to really understand all of this that I've shared in a, in a, in a global, and, and in, in many ways, it's, it's a law. <laughs> Uh, it's a physical way of understanding. So if you draw this triangle over here, if you draw, yeah, put in one corner freedom, okay? On the bottom left, uh, put a little ball there and put freedom. On the top of it, put truth. And the bottom right, if you put health, okay? Now all of these things are connected. So let me explain. So you need freedom to get to truth. And with truth is how we get to health, be it not only of our body, or our economy, anything. And it's from health we are strong to fight for freedom. Let me repeat that. It is from freedom that we can get unravel truth. And it is from truth we can figure out the health for, for our bodies, our infrastructure, our society. And it's only when we're healthy do we have the, you know, the warrior spirit to go fight for our freedom, okay? So truth, freedom, and health. 
freedom, okay? You try to lock people up. You, t you try to control dissent. You try to give false narratives. You move everything to scientific consensus away from the scientific method, which is happening right now. That's why that guy went and hit me, what you showed originally, Gary, right? Because I was saying something he didn't want to hear. And then by that, you suffocate truth. And when you suffocate truth, you basically create fake problems and fake solutions. On everything we're seeing today, gun violence, oh my God, guns kill people. No, it's not true. If you take a systems approach, you find out it's not the guns. There are many factors which kill. And if we address those other things, you don't have to create the dialectic between pro and second amendment, right? And re a very good research paper show came out on this. Well, if we wanna really help the environment, let's lower pollution. Let's get rid of companies like Monsanto, pollute the water, et cetera. But you don't wanna do that. You wanna talk about vaccines. You wanna talk about you know viruses all day, right? Or you wanna talk about CO2 being a pollutant. So we suffocate freedom. We have fake scientists, fake academics who create fake solutions, which actually harm our health. Vaccines, Ritalin, you know, all this stuff which hurt our brain, which hurt our body. So we get, you know, telling everyone that cannabis is good for everyone. It's not true. Okay. Well, you look at, I mean, just, just, just the pharmaceutical commercials alone, all the side effects, they have this nice guy running through the forest and he's smiling and he's happy, but the narrator says, oh yeah, by the way, you could die if you take this. Right. And what happens is this, this, this phenomenon pollutes everything. So you take even good things that were originally, let's say, cannabis, which was farmed, you know, which had very low levels of THC, you hybrid, you hybridizing, you build it to 25 times more THC than what it had. And now you start creating young men and women who lose their gumption to fight anymore. Okay. You create an unhealthy society in all levels. So now you have unhealthy people who don't want to fight. And now they are ready to get free stuff. They are ready to be a little automaton on a broad machine and they're not ready to fight. This is, but the important thing is working people, people work with their hands, you know, plumbers, electricians, in fact, surgeons. I've got thousands of letters and emails coming in since I put that out. What I find this amazing thing is the people who call me and get it are all people who do something with their hands or they actually create something. You know, the typical MD doesn't really make something anymore, okay? The typical lawyer doesn't make anything. The someone who's studying some, you know, uh, uh, gender studies of aardvarks is really not learning much, okay? But people who make something, okay, who create something, have skills, they're really our future because they get the climate change was, you know, the, the CO2 hoax, okay? They get this whole thing's a hoax. They're the people who get it. So the opportunity that we have is those people, and I think right now, you know, as I appreciate you letting uh, people know about our campaign, the Shiva for Senate campaign, it's our campaign, it's your campaign. By winning here, it'll be like taking a stake and plunging it right into the vampire or the deep state. It'll be a big victory for all of us. And that's why we all need to get behind uh, what's going on here and all the amazing volunteers that are coming out from all parts of the country to help our campaign. This will be a huge victory for all of us. Well, we definitely need you in the Senate and everyone who's watching right now. The link again is on the screen and you can see it, Shiva for Senate. All the links to Dr. Shiva's social media are in the description. So I encourage everyone watching, follow and support Dr. Shiva's campaign right now. There is no question we need to in increase our strength in the Senate with liberty-minded candidates and not career politicians like 
Pocahontas Warren. Dr. Shiva, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I would love to have you back to update us on other issues. Uh, right now, we're, we're in the middle of this national emergency and you're, you're enlightening our viewership with so much information. But I also want to extend an, an, an open invitation to join me and my wife in studio the next time that you are in Chicago. That'd be great. I'd, I'd appreciate that. Thank you very much. That'd be, that, sounds, that sounds great, Gary. And best to you and your whole team. Thanks for the great work you're doing getting you know, this kind of um, news out there. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. Now, friends watching right now, I want you to hit the links below. And, and if this interview inspired you, I want you to consider sharing it right now across all of your social networks. As always, we will continue the discussion in the comment section below. And that's where we'll see you next time. For the Next News Network and Dr. Shiva, I'm Gary Franchi. Thanks for watching the Next News Network. Tap here to subscribe to the channel to get the latest news and alerts. Tap here to watch our latest breaking news and our top stories. Tap here for our latest featured interviews. And make sure you tap here to get in on the new podcast, the Gcast, with my wife Angie and I. We'll see you at the next report. For the Next News Network, I'm Gary Franchi.